Well, good morning again, First Baptist Church of Great Gables. Now is our time where we get the privilege of opening up God's word and seeing what he would have for us to hear. And so if you have your Bibles open, I hope that you do, and I hope you went ahead and turned to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 13 this morning. I didn't mention this last week, but verse 11 actually serves as what we call a transitional verse. Uh, when Paul says that we need to edify one another, uh, he's really pointing forward to what he is going to unpack uh, for the rest of this letter in chapter 5. So really all of chapter 5 is going to be about just how we are to edify one another. So hopefully you got your Bibles open and you're ready to read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 13. And we urge you Brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Gracious Father, Lord, you are so good to your people. I've been just so reminded this week of your faithfulness to us despite our unfaithfulness. I've been so reminded how you work in and through all things to bring about your good and perfect will. Father, I pray from the youngest person listening to this to the oldest person listening to this that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear this your word, that we might understand it and respond in a way that brings honor to you and glorifies you. Father, we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, when a preacher is committed to continual expository preaching, that is uh, going through line by line, verse by verse, books of the Bible, in a consecutive order, eventually he's going to come to a text like this. Uh, and the nice thing about that is he can't really be blamed for that, right? I mean, I've been preaching through 1 Thessalonians for some time now, and though you might question this at the end of the sermon, I did not initially choose this book because of these two verses. Of course, if you've gleaned from what we've read, you know what I'm talking about here. Even looking at the title of this morning's sermon, you know uh, that the reason I'm saying that is because the big idea of our passage this morning is that we must, we need to recognize and esteem our pastors. We need to recognize and esteem our pastors. So yeah, this is going to be a little awkward, right? Uh, that's the big idea of our text. And so before we actually dive into the text, what I'd like to begin by doing is just by defining a couple of these terms we find in the big idea and we find in the text uh, the terms of recognize or respect, which is kind of the same word. It's uh, translated both ways here. Uh, the word esteem as well. And then I want to look and help you understand the motivation for why Paul 
He gives the reason for recognizing and esteeming our pastors. What's the motivation for that? And then finally pointing your attention to why I believe this verse is about pastors. So once again, I want to remind you from the outset, I am simply the messenger here. If you see it in the text, then it's God's word and not simply mine. Let's start with that word respect or recognize. Really what we find here that's translated this way, it, it, it means to know. That's the working definition we're going to go with respect and recognize, to know. It's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, where Paul says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And then he says, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. He says, you know. Well, in our verse here, in chapter 5, verse 12, it's got an extended meaning of to recognize, or maybe even better, to acknowledge. Like an employee of the month is acknowledged for their work, or a student athlete is acknowledged for their achievements on the field or off the field. Likewise, Paul here is appealing to the Thessalonians and asking them to acknowledge or recognize the work of the pastors and so that's where we see the word recognize or respect. Now let's go to the next term and look at that term esteem. Esteem is really held in parallel with to recognize or respect. It's got a very similar meaning. They're synonymous, though maybe having, I guess, a couple slightly different nuances to them. Both words refer to the act of acknowledging or holding a person or someone in high regard. I guess we'll go with the definition to treat with honor and reverence. To treat one with honor and reverence. See, Paul modifies uh, this infinitive to esteem by adding a hyperbolic adverb, very highly. To esteem them very highly. So not only were the Thessalonians who recognized and acknowledged those who led them, those, those who labored among them, their, their pastors, they were to... Uh, esteem them very highly above all. In fact, one commentator, Dr. Jeffrey Wyma, states it like this. He said, uh, believers must treat their Christian leaders with a level of respect that is higher or greater than that shown any other persons or official. Uh, what is then to be the motivation behind that, right? That's a pretty heavy statement. So why? Why would we need to treat our pastors and uh, recognize them and esteem them in such high regard? Well, I think the motivation that he gives is right in the text, isn't it? He says, for their work's sake. That would be the motivation. The motivation for why we should esteem and recognize our pastors is for their work's sake. Paul explicitly states that's the motivation for their, their labor among us, their, uh, the fact that they are over us and that they admonish us. Uh, Paul is going to explain that and unpack that in verse 12, but for now I think it's safe to say that the motivation for, for why he's giving we need to recognize, respect, or esteem our pastors is because of their work, their laboring, their ruling, or their admonishing. Again, back to Dr. Wyma, he states again, uh, it is clear that respect and honor ought to be accorded congregational leaders, not because of their position or office in and of itself, but because of the important pastoral work they perform. Okay, 
one last preliminary item and term we need to define here, and that uh, is uh, thus far I've been addressing and using the term pastors. Yet, if you read these verses, and I hope you did, that term pastors is not present here. It doesn't say pastors. It doesn't say elders or overseers. It simply says those who labor among you, those who are over you, and those who admonish you. That brings us, of course, to the last part of that big idea, and I want to help us understand why it is I'm choosing the word pastor here. Who is it that to be rec- is to be recognized and esteemed most highly? I'm going to contend or assert that though our passage doesn't say specifically this, that he's referring to the office of elder, overseer, or pastor. Pastor, elder, or overseer. That's what he's referring to. Remember, those terms, they refer to the same office or role. I'm sure you remember, we covered this back in in detail back in our series in November on polity. All of those terms are referring to the same uh, office or persons uh, that are fulfilling the same responsibilities and duties on behalf of the congregation, on behalf of the church. They're exercising leadership within the church. And we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Right, for example, when Luke writes Acts chapter 20, he tells us about the elders that go and visit Paul before he heads back off to Jerusalem. And then Paul addresses them as overseers in Acts 20 and continues to lay out and describe their work of pastoring or shepherding the flock. In Titus, the term elder or overseer, they're used interchangeably. In 1 Peter, Jesus is described as the overseer or pastor of our souls. So it's my assertion that the office of elder, pastor, overseer is exactly what Paul has in view here. And I think that's crystal clear from the way Paul is unpacking the work that he points our attention to in this text. Uh, When the way he describes that work, I think makes clear he's referring to uh, this office. And so let's go ahead and do that next. Let's jump right into the text and examine this work so I can prove to you that this is the case. We'll start with verse 12 and we'll take this bit by bit. Uh, What I want to do is look at each of these these works that are described in turn. So we start with, uh, we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor. Uh, And I know I just gave you something to fill out if you have the handout sheet, but I'm going to give you something immediately to fill out after that because first and foremost, not only do we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor, we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor with the word. That is primary. The primary responsibility of a pastor is that they labor with the word. And of course, when we say the word, we're referring to uh, the word of God. When Paul uses this term labor right here in our text, uh, this term can refer to manual labor. In fact, that's how he uses it back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring day and night. Uh, remember, Paul in that time, he's reminding them about how he and his companions worked with their own hands in order to provide for their own needs. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. 
He did manual labor. And so that word can be used as manual labor, but Paul also uses this word labor to describe his gospel ministry. Uh, like, for example, what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, uh, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul was not concerned that his tent making might be in vain there. Uh, labor in that verse refers to Paul's gospel ministry in Thessalonica. It's the proclamation of the gospel, the discipling of believers, the work of instructing the saints and building up this newly established congregation. It does not refer to tent making as it was described in chapter 2 verse 9, but it's more the work that Paul goes on to describe in chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Let me read that for you uh, where he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And few passages better uh, poetry that gospel ministry than what our scripture reading was in Acts chapter 20 verses 18 through 32. If you haven't read that yet, make sure you do. Uh, and I want you just to note how Paul describes his gospel ministry. The verbs he uses to describe his gospel ministry. Declaring, testifying, teaching, proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Friends, uh, the rod of a pastor is the word of God. And with it, he draws the sheep to Jesus and beats away the wolves that would attempt to have them. And so we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor with the word. But we also recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor among us. That's what the text says. Recognize those who labor among you. We saw in Acts chapter 20 that this ministry is personal. They are among us. It is among the body. It is often one-on-one -on -one or face-to-face. -face. And let me tell you something, church. I am grateful to God uh, for modern technology, I am thankful to God that we have such easy access to powerful preaching and teaching from some incredibly gifted people. Praise be to God for that. I'm, I'm thankful that we have easy access to solid biblical instruction and teaching. In fact, I'm sure so many of us have some of our favorite gospel ministers that we love to listen to uh, every week and we have high esteem for. I don't think it's a secret here that I love to sit at the feet of Pastor Mark Tuso, one of the most uh, incredibly gifted men I know. Please don't tell him I told you that, by the way. Uh, but seriously, someone who is so gifted at rightly dividing the word of truth and communicating it uh, well. Um, and, and I know many of us have been touched and, and moved and are encouraged by the ministries of people like Vodi Bakum or Paul Washer or the late and great R.C. Sproul. Uh, we rightly esteem those men. We rightly thank God for men like them. But church family, hear me now. They are not your pastors. They're not your pastors. They don't labor among you. Uh, their ministry is not face-to-face. -face. They will neither marry or bury you. They are not the ones who will give an account for your soul. And so I ask you simply to be careful that you're not like a child who by spending time with his best friend's parents begins to despise their own. 
a Lord willing, the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, will always have a pastor laboring among us. We will always, he, uh, he will always grant us one who is doing the labor among us face to face, who ministers his word to us personally, who sits with us in the midst of our struggles and ministers the word in the midst of our trials. So we recognize them. We esteem them very highly. That leads us now to point two. Not only do we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor, they labor among us, they labor us with the word, but we recognize and esteem our pastors because they are over us. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they are over you. And so again, uh, right after that, I want to break this down the two particular ways that the pastor is over you. Uh, and one of those is because they rule by Christ's authority. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they are over you. And in them being over us, they rule by Christ's authority. Now, the New King James Version actually has a very sterile translation in saying that they are over you. This is the same word that is translated rule in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. I think it would do us well just to examine that text before us. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 5, uh, uh, 17 actually uses two of the exact same words he uses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Did you notice that? He uses the term labor, which is translated the exact same. But then he also uses the word rule, which is translated back in our verse as those who are over you. Uh, in fact, Paul is going to use this phrase or this word, over you or rule, three more additional times in 1 Timothy. One of those is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, a passage I hope we're very familiar with, a passage we pray over every year when we're considering who we should recognize as elders or deacons among us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says this, uh, one who rules over his own house very well. Uh, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Uh, rule, manage, take care. Uh, the same qualifications apply to deacons in chapter 3, verse 12. In all of these uses in 1 Timothy, the idea is of one exercising authority. Whether you say rule, manage, or are over, the idea is the same. It's an, it's an exercise, an execution of leadership. It's the exercise of authority, care, or welfare of the local church. Uh, this authority, according to our verse back in 1 Thessalonians, is from the Lord. That means, church, it is a derived authority. Pastors are not captains of the ship. Pastors are more like chief engineering officers or weapons officers. They have no authority of their own, but their responsibility is to discharge the commands of the captain. They are to disseminate and affect the will of the captain. So also, the pastor's authority is not his own. It is derived from Christ. Now, I want you to listen carefully here. This is a limited authority to be exercised within the confines in the context of the local church. It's restricted to the revealed will of God. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit for God's glory. It is a limited authority, but 
It is a real authority. Uh, and, and I'm afraid that in a subtle and unintentional way, we are at risk of disregarding this. Uh, and let me explain first, before I dive into that, let me explain first what I believe to be at least part of the root cause of why we're all at risk of disregarding this authority. And that is because if you're listening to this, you were highly likely born and raised in a culture that idolizes the anti-authoritarian. What do I mean by that? I mean, we in a culture, we are in a culture that loves the rebel. I mean, just look at who our heroes are. Especially in this day and age, we love the outlaw. We love those who think that they are above or outside the law. In fact, the idea of authority is considered in our culture to be antiquated or at least outdated at best. Uh, each of us, in fact, in some way have been shaped and formed by these presuppositions that undergird things like egalitarianism, uh, individualism, or anti-authoritarianism. I know that's a lot of isms, but, but bear with me. Uh, because friends, do not be deceived. We are not immune from the way that these ideas impact and influence our lives. I mean, even for those of us who know better, submission is a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? And so with that being what I think is the root cause of us being at risk of disregarding authority, what I'd like to do is just very quickly look at three ways here at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables we are at risk of disregarding this authority. And the first one falls squarely on my shoulders, and it is that I am so uncomfortable preaching about this. Uh, you can ask anybody on staff, it has been an uncomfortable week for me knowing what's ahead. Uh, and because of that, I am convicted that I've neglected my responsibilities and duties to exercise the authority that Christ has given me in a way that most benefits this church. And so I repent. I ask for your forgiveness and ask that you would pray for me, that I would be a better steward of the authority that God has granted me. Uh, the second reason is not so much a specifically identified problem as much as it is a concern and a needed reminder. And so the second thing, way I think we're at risk of disregarding this authority is, is church, we must remember this is not a democracy. This is a monarchy. We are under the kingship of King Jesus. We are under his rule. And King Jesus has appointed Pastor Justin and myself to lead. This church has affirmed that appointment. Now, while we pray regularly that God would appoint others to join us in this endeavor, for right now, God has appointed Pastor Justin and myself to lead this particular church. He has vested us with the authority to do so. And again, as I stated previously, it's a limited authority, but it's a real authority nonetheless. And so while of course we agree that the congregation should be brought in on particular matters concerning the church, on certainly things like confirming elders and deacons or exercising formal discipline, uh, brought in on receiving new members or the use of our corporate funds, uh, while all those things are true and we support congregationalism to be involved in that sense, I just want to say 
say this as a reminder, and that is if you believe that God has called an elder here, and that elder is exercising his God-given authority within the proper sphere, then according to God's word, you are to follow him. You are, even if at times you disagree with some of the decisions uh, they might make. As a writer of Hebrews states, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, grief for that would be unprofitable uh, for you. And let me just say, say at the, the outset of this, again, this is just a reminder. And if one thing I've been so encouraged, especially with our unique situation, at the willingness of this church to follow these elders' uh, leads, especially being young men as uh, I like to feel like we are at times, I praise God uh, for your, um, your decision and your continual ability to allow us to serve with joy and not with grief. Third, the third reason I think we're tempted to, uh, to undergird this kind of authority and disregard it, we're at risk for that. I'm going to cast the net a little bit larger here. And that is, if you're listening to this, and you are a Christian that is without the benefit of being under an under-shepherd, hear me, you are in grave danger. You are. And I know the temptation might be to say, well, I have Jesus as my shepherd and he is the good shepherd. And I don't disagree with that. But Jesus is the one who has given you pastors to serve as your under shepherds. That was his work. It's his idea. And so uh, you can't despise what Christ has given you and presume that your soul is saved as you're wandering alone in this world. I mean, if, if the Apostle Paul wrote that there were, were going to be wolves among the flock, then how much more should you walk in fear and trepidation as one who is out there without a fold or without an under-shepherd? Listen, you know, and I hope you know, that I love each and every one of you listening to this, and I'm glad you are listening uh, to this, but just because you tune in to this every Sunday doesn't mean I'm pastoring you. It doesn't mean that I consider you a sheep that I'm responsible for, that I will someday stand and give an account for. We've gone over this several times. How is it that I'm supposed to know who I am responsible for unless there is some type of method of receiving sheep into the fold? Might I assume that I'm accountable for everyone who turn, tunes in to our YouTube channel or our, uh, our website? Might I assume that I'm responsible for just everybody who walks through these doors? Makes no sense at all. Well, here at First Baptist Church, Greg Gables, we call this membership. And listen, it is not for me or anyone to tell you whether or not you are part of the universal body of Christ because you don't belong to a local church, but it is exactly my responsibility to guard the gate of this fold. That's my responsibility. The local concrete expression of that universal reality and so we are to recognize and esteem our pastors because they rule with Christ's authority, but also because they rule with care. And this is really important because another connotation of this word to rule is actually to be concerned for or to be cared for. 
And so we respect and esteem our pastors because they rule with care. And that's something you can clearly see from what clearly see from what we read earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where uh, Paul talks about if a man does not know how to uh, rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? If he doesn't know how to manage, how to rule, how to be over his own house, how is he not to manage or rule over, but how is he to care for them? See, to be over or to rule does not mean an authoritarian monarchy. It is the loving exercise of Christ's authority with the word for his glory. It is the expression of sincere concern for the bride of Christ through biblical leadership. Uh, Far from promoting tyranny, the biblical model of church governance actually demands selfless service and sacrifice. It is real authority to be sure, but it is the authority that demonstrates the love of Christ for his vulnerable sheep. It's the heart of biblical leadership that, uh, that Paul actually expresses back in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. I want to read that for you. Look at what he says. This is what, the heart of what Paul expresses here. He says, Besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? This is the heart of a pastor. And so we recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they are over us. They rule with Christ's authority and they rule with care. But finally, we recognize and esteem our pastors because they admonish us. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they admonish you. It's clearly seen in the text, right? We see, recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Why? Well, two reasons given there. First, because their instruction serves as guardrails. The pastor's instruction, it serves as guardrails. See, the word admonish there, it can mean to reprove or it can mean to warn. Uh, Their admonishments and warnings are designed to keep the sheep from straying away from the narrow path. Uh, this is one way that Paul describes his gospel ministry back in Acts chapter 20 again. If you remember, he was just describing how wolves would come and they would try and tempt the flock. They would be men speaking twisted things and attempt to draw away the disciples of God. So he warns them. He tells the elders, the overseers, the pastors in verse 31 of chapter 20, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not see cease to warn every night and day with tears. Uh, Paul admonished or warned them of the dangers inside and outside of the church. Do you see that picture? Uh, Paul's words were guardrails that protected the sheep from going too far to the left or too far from the right, but staying on the narrow path. Notice that Paul says he warned them for three years. That's the entire time that he was with them, by the way, in Ephesus. He says, I never ceased from admonishing you over and over and over again, warning you over and over again, night and day. Always I was warning you, always I was admonishing you with tears. 
So if you felt like a moment ago, like I, maybe I overemphasized the danger of being outside a fold, outside of the membership of a local church, of not being under an under-shepherd, then I beg you to read those verses and reconsider. Find a fold. Know your pastor and make sure your pastor knows you. So we recognize pastors uh, because they admonish us and their instruction serves as guardrails, but we also recognize pastors because they admonish out of genuine concern and love. We recognize and esteem our pastors because they admonish out of genuine concern and love. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, as my beloved children, Paul was sincerely concerned. He genuinely loved them. And don't be deceived, church. So often my heart is troubled for you. There's no one here who doesn't fall into sin often that I am not broken over or indignant. So that really brings us to uh, what is the final point of our passage. And I'll be very quick here. We recognize and esteem our pastors not only because they labor among us, not only because they are over us or they admonish us. We recognize and esteem our pastors because we are to be at peace with one another. We are to be at peace with ourselves. That is what Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. And initially when I studied this, that, that last statement kind of threw me for a bit, right? It may seem like an odd conclusion to the exhortation from Paul. But remember, what is then the opposite of to recognize or esteem? It would be to despise, to disrespect, to disregard, to neglect, to hate, deride, abuse, disparage, ridicule. These attitudes and dispositions would be destructive to any relationship, how much more so in a relationship of authority. When these attitudes are expressed and experienced by people who are supposed to be following leaders toward their leaders, there will be no peace and harmony, only conflict. There will only be conflict. And you realize that this is an age-old problem, right? This is a problem as old as the garden, uh, Adam rejected the authority of God. Eve rejected the authority of Adam. And so there was no peace and harmony, only conflict. Korah rejected the authority of Moses. Therefore, no peace and harmony, only conflict. Absalom rejected the authority of David. No peace and harmony, but conflict. The Pharisees and the scribes rejected the authority of Jesus. No peace and harmony, only conflict. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ submitted to the authority of his father and there was no conflict, only peace and harmony. And not just between Jesus and God the Father, but as Romans 5.1 says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we have peace with God, church family, then how can we have conflict with one another? So we let the peace of God rule in our hearts to which indeed we are called in one body. So let us highly recognize and esteem our pastors because they labor among us, they rule over us, they admonish us because we should be at peace among ourselves. May the Lord grant us grace to rightly respond to his work and I will leave it 
at that. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I do thank you for the forgiveness of which I have in Christ. I thank you for convicting me this week of, Lord, not being necessarily a good steward of the authority that you've given me to exercise rightly. Lord, I thank you that your word has had its desired effect in my heart, and I pray that it would continue to do so. I pray for us all together, Lord, that you would help us examine our hearts, that hearts that you would uh, help us to be faithful in recognizing and esteeming uh, the authority that you've placed in our midst. Father, that you would help us to be faithful in praying for and lifting up that authority. We thank you that you have provided such these things at Gray Gables. Lord, I'm so thankful for a church that I know recognizes and esteems their pastor and prays for them often. But we pray your protection against any wolves that would come in and try to distract us or redirect that authority. You protect us, Father. And we ask that you would guide us and protect us until the return of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all these things in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So a little little different, right? And a little awkward, but I do want to give you an invitation, church family. Uh, first, be encouraged. This isn't coming from a heart of somebody who's disgruntled. This is coming from a heart of somebody who's committed to preach what God's word says. And so in the midst of this week, though I feel like I've failed at times to exercise my authority rightly, I've been encouraged by the way that you as a church family have done an incredible job of recognizing and esteeming your pastors. And I thank you for that. And I know Pastor Justin uh, echoes that. But let us be protected from this. Uh, let us continue to, to strive towards this way. We need to be reminded lest we become comfortable uh, in this idea. Uh, and then finally, I, I hope you know and see that if your, your life is marred by nothing but conflict, if you cannot define your life with some sense of peace and harmony, certainly peace and harmony with God, then it may reveal that you are not a Christian because Christians are marked by those who are at peace among themselves. And that comes primarily because we've been reconciled in peace to God our Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here listening to this this morning and you know you are marked by conflict, you are not marked by peace and harmony, Oh, how I pray that you would know and hear that Jesus Christ uh, went to the cross to die on behalf of sinners like you, that his father uh, poured out his wrath and punishment on he who knew no sin so that you who has broken God's law could be made righteous in his sight. If only you would but repent and believe in the gospel, uh, you could have this peace of God today. That is our prayer. If you have any questions about that, we would love the opportunity to share that gospel with you in more uh, fuller settings. So please reach out to us and let us know. We love you, church family. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. We miss you all. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.